This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Input prices are on the rise. How can we reduce those costs while increasing yields and profits? This week's guest provides his tech and agronomy keys to help do just that. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. We're in the middle of our corn harvest here on the farm, and I recently picked the corn in our Pivot Bio Proven field trial. You may remember that Pivot Bio Proven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership to stay strong all the way through harvest. It's a weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable and more productive yields than ever before. So, what were the results of the field trial? Well, our corn using Pivot Bio Proven out-yielded the non-treated corn by 7 bushels per acre. The second year in a row, we saw a yield boost. Even more exciting is the opportunity to replace some of our synthetic nitrogen since Pivot Bio Proven can be a proven source of nitrogen throughout the growing season. That's a big factor, especially in a time of higher input prices. I'll continue to share more results and thoughts throughout Harvest. You can learn more about Pivot Bio and field trials throughout the nation by going to pivotbio.com. Travis Weeman is the owner of Infinity Ag in Verona, North Dakota. While his business is based in the Northern Plains, his advice is practical for many parts of the country. He works with farmers who are looking for agronomic and technology solutions to help them do more with less. I was recently at his farm and business where we went to the fields to look at solutions that return dollars and cents in a time of higher costs. We covered a lot of topics, but we began by looking back at this year's growing season that was quite challenging for many in the area. We've heard about it being very dry in the Dakotas. So here where you're at in North Dakota, what has the past season been like? Uh, A lot of drought here? Yeah. uh, Statewide, there's a lot of drought. Where I'm specifically like right around home base, uh, we've been fairly fortunate. We had a really long stretch without rain from about July 6th all the way to the beginning of September without any rain at all. But uh, we had a lot of retention, a lot of soil moisture already from our prior season. We were extremely wet a lot of pp in our area so that really helped us hold on um kind of tooth and nail all the way to the end here so when you don't have rain for as long as you did there how did that affect then the crops or do you think that in your area they were able to make it through relatively well uh in our area i think they did relatively well all things considered it was absolutely astounding how well they held on through that dry spell um they were Tapping down deep, root structure was key. Um, having no compaction layers, making sure it's getting in the ground correctly, um, not over uh, applying pressure with your gauge wheels, things like that, that just allow that root mass to get out there and find the nutrients and moisture was absolutely key for this year. You have a company, Infinity Ag. Infinity Ag. Talk about what you do here for a moment because you're really working with growers across the whole spectrum of what they, they might need. And then we can dive into some of the specific things that you found that are, are working up here. Yeah, at Infinity Egg, we kind of 
we kind of take a full system approach to what we do. We are a precision planning dealer. Uh, we do a lot with planners, not just precision planning. We're doing everything from fertilizer systems to different kind of whipper setups, just really dialing that machine in to accomplish whatever goal our grower wants to accomplish in the end. Uh, we also do a lot with variable rate scripting. Uh, we do variable rate seeding prescriptions, fertility prescriptions. Um, really, our our strongest attribute that we have is we fill that disconnect between the genetic or the agronomic side and the actual mechanical agronomics. There seems to be a disconnect, in our opinion, or at least in our area in the ag market, where you've got a lot of great agronomists, a lot of great iron guys, but they don't have a way of merging those two, two uh, knowledge sets together, I guess. And we really fit that niche where we, we take it from planning to actual execution. Based on that, trying to marry those two up, what types of things have been good solutions up here that you found in getting the the agronomics and the iron paired together, which is what you're doing? Um, we inherently in the Dakotas, we struggle with cold, wet soils to begin with. So starter fertilizers are huge. Fertility programs are big. Um, we do a lot with planters on both starter fertilizers and nitrogen application, variable rating that nitrogen or straight rating it to come back in and variable rate it later with like a wide drop or a side dresser scenario. Um, we really found that like say beans specifically we've had a, a large movement of guys going away from air seeders moving into planters because uh, we found that as long as your live count is a hundred thousand or greater at the end of the day you're going to have about the same yield whether it's a 140 live count or 160 live count or 120 live count so we've been able to reduce seed input costs just astronomically um, on the corn side, we're doing a lot with variable rate. Uh, we a lot of, have a lot of great hybrids in our portfolio through channel that have got some good flex to them, which is key in my specific area where a lot of what they call pothole country. So we go from good ground to just gumble, high mag, salty soils around potholes that are just equates back to poor drainage. And with variable rate and what we're doing, we can really save on the inputs in those poor zones because they really don't need anything because they just keep getting dumped fertility year after year after year and never get it used. So we're basically eliminating any fertilizer applications in those and taking that same amount of fertilizer and moving it into your high production areas. So variable rate, in my mind, isn't really saving on your overall input costs. It's just putting the dollars where they make the most sense. So here, the variable rate then, are most people doing it just because of the savings that they found in it? It's, it's hit and miss. I mean, variable rate, we had a lot of guys, um, say, a decade ago um, get into variable rate, and they gravitated back out of it because the issue they were having, they had no way to properly track that variable rate to really benchmark things. They just say, you know, you ask them, well, is it working? Well, it seems like it is. You know, they don't really have anything to tie it back to. But with the advancements of technology and what we're doing with yield monitoring and having all that data logged from the when you planted it, how many GDUs it got, when it got rain, how much rain it got, you get a much clearer understanding of what's happening. Now that you've got better data, is it making it so people do see the the value in doing the variable right now as opposed to 10 years ago they maybe didn't see it it can be it can still be very difficult depending on how you're doing it you almost got to have sometimes um oh like test strips necessarily like you're variable rate in the whole field but then you'll do a check strip at a fixed rate um, we'll do that we recommend doing that especially somebody getting into variable rate with new hybrids we like to do set population sets in that same field so you really have something to benchmark off of we even go as far 
if we're like in-house on one of our fields, we'll do a split application with a planner where we'll variable rate 12 rows of it, straight rate the other 12 rows of it, and we'll do that and we'll change that variable rate prescription pass after pass. So you're comparing, you know, our standard 32,000 or 33,000 against 34, 36, 28, 29. You're really seeing how they all respond differently to that. We should mention now, when you're talking about variable rate, what are all the variables? Are you just varying the population? Is it nitrogen? Is it other fertility? What all types of things are you varying in those tests? Uh, it's pretty much top to bottom. Starter sometimes is a straight rate just from simplicity, but we've got guys doing special things with beans, variable rating with FurrowJet, where we can put up to like 14 gallons of 103040 or a starter on each side. Uh, we're kind of playing around with that. It's too early to really tell i guess but we're seeing some promise out of it um, it just gives you a lot of flexibility in your starter program and what you can put down for rates but really we're variable rating everything from seed nitrogen starter uh, p and k top to bottom i guess so you said then that you've got some check strips where you don't vary variable rate anything so what has it told you then the data what would be the yield difference what's the the cost savings return on investment so forth the thing about it is is that Every, it's not just once you figure out your variable rate on that field that you stick with that forever. I mean, every hybrid, hybrid will respond differently. So you need to have somebody on your team, wherever you're getting your seed from, that understands their hybrids to that level. Because if you don't have the person selling you the seed that understands how they react to certain populations on certain soil types in certain conditions, you're having to reinvent the wheel and with the current rotation of hybrids, by the time you really get her dialed in and understand that hybrid, they're already coming out with the next one. So it really comes down to having somebody on your team that's doing your seed, that is doing all this research and homework behind the scenes. So when it hits your farm, you've already got you know, the foundation set and a good place to start with. And that's really what we're trying to do at Infinity Egg. So that's where I wanted to go. That's a lot to do, but you feel like that you can keep up with it well enough with all those variables, but also keep up with the new hybrids to know how you need to, to match those two up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it's quite the undertaking, but we've luckily we've got a great team at Infinity Egg, a lot of good people that are committed and see the value in what we're doing and how everything we do up front helps our, our, our growers in the end be more profitable. And that's really the name of the game. If our customers aren't profitable, we're not going to be around as a business. Even though things do vary, are there some things year after year now that you've found that these are good practices for us to put in place every year just based off of the trials you've done? Oh, yeah, definitely. We've, we're doing a lot of things with like variable rate on soybeans. We found that uh, boosting populations up in some of our poorer ground, which is almost the exact opposite of what you do on corn, it's helping us out because we got high mag soils, so they tend to crust on us around our potholes when we get a, a pounding rain. So if you have more seeds in the ground, they'll, they'll work as a team to push through that crust, and we find that we're getting a lot better live counts in those poor areas. It also comes back to hybrid selection in, in a hybrid that'll perform in that area, but it's just getting it through that crust and on the ground. Same thing, we got some areas that have gravel ridges, arid hilltops, higher populations in those. You, you're, you're still not going to get a huge live count, but they'll actually compete with each other on height. So you'll be able to harvest, the harvestability of it will be a lot more fluent. You'll be able to get it in the head, actually. So just little things like that kind of follow suit in our area anyway, across the board, no matter what hybrid or what you're doing there. Um, corn, it's very specific to hybrid in my mind, whether you're, you really got to understand if your hybrids are, 
you know, a real flexy hybrid, semi-flex, um, very stationary. In our area, we like hybrids with flex because we have a lot of varying soil and really volatile climates, it seems like. We go from, well, just last year was the wettest year I've ever seen in my life. We had water running uphill. And then this year, we basically had no rain, start to finish. I mean, it, 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 we go from one extreme to the next, it seems like. Yeah. Bean population, you've talked about that a time or two. You've gotten down to 100,000 population, it sounds like, and still have maintained the yields. Is that because you have had early planting dates? Is it just because it seems to work time after time? Because I think a lot of people are interested, if I can bring my populations down and save some steep, but still get the same yield. Really, bring your population comes down to what you're putting it in the ground with. Um, it, 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 it's, it's getting seed to soil contact, getting it placed in the ground to get it to germ. The problem we run into like a no tilling with air seeders is it's, it's kind of a controlled spill here. You're not getting them all at a good depth. Some ride up on top of the ground when you get in trash, it really comes to doing a good job of planting allows you to reduce that population. I wouldn't say it's necessarily so much tied to hybrid more so than the quality of your planting allows you to reduce that and that's why we've seen a, a move in our territory where air seeders are kind of moving out because we don't have a ton of wheat and they're moving into having a corn planter and having a bean planter so they can run at the same time because we've also found and i don't think it's a secret anymore the sooner you get going on your beans they're going to be the better beans on your farm so pretty much in our area what we've been coaching our growers are are guys that are really being successful the the day they go out to plant corn the soybean planters right behind them going to the field across the road you know and, and this year we did have some frost events but nine out of ten years you're gonna be fine and you're gonna see a five bushel gain minimum out of that stuff that's planted three weeks earlier than where you normally would finish your corn then jump into beans for those guys that have both a corn planter and a soybean planter and you're a precision ag guy precision planting are those planters set up a lot differently? Or are they set up very similar for the corn and beans to, to get the seed in the ground the right way to get the best crop? Uh, a lot of them are set up similar, but uh, corn is definitely more critical when it comes to down pressure systems, making sure you're getting it at that perfect depth that you're shooting for. Beans are slightly more forgiving where, you know, you can get by with an airbag planter with some, I'd still want control on that planter because we still have variability, but um, they probably don't have to be as va- advanced and maybe as expensive of inputs as you would have on a corn planter. Beans are a little more forgiving. It's mainly just having a, a good system for getting that trash out of the way. Whippers are huge for us um, and getting a good seed bed to get that seed plugged into the ground. So I don't think guys with corn or with uh, soybean planters, it's not near the investment you would have into a corn planter. But then there too, um, you know, a lot of operations aren't set up to be able to run two planters. And that's where with precision planning, uh, speed tubes have been huge for us. It, it more or less, when you're in that position as a farmer where you're reaching your limits of the planner you have but you can't really justify maybe another person to run a second planner or the tractor to pull it or even just to get the other planner speed tube gives you like a planner and a half for what you already have you know maybe even a little bit more than that so it allows you to really almost we've seen guys see big gains with speed tube because rather than going out and planting today because there's a rain coming in two days they'll sandbag it let it dry out one more day than all the neighbors and go hit it at 10 mile an hour and end up with a much better scenario than you know trying to wedge because in north dakota that's that's probably our biggest challenge is our, our our window of opportunity i mean we've got about five days to do 10 days worth of work it always seems like 
This is radio. They can't see it, but we're sitting in front of cover crops growing here. Have cover crops been a big deal here, or is this mostly just for trials for your purposes? It's hit and miss. You can definitely see the writing on the wall, especially with all the the new carbon programs coming out. I really think we're going to see a lot of traction with it. Um, Cover crops have been around in our area a long time, but the, the struggle we have, especially with corn and cover crops, is we don't have the time window after corn to really get anything established. And we can fly on rye ahead of time but then you're always dependent on if you get a rain and it's a little bit hit and miss sometimes with the germination on it but overall we got some guys that have been you know hardcore into cover crops and no-till for a better part of a decade and they've really honed in what they're doing but i really think there's a lot of benefit to cover crops and there's a lot of a lot to see there yet with the cover crops what has worked well here um we like uh you know, barley's kind of a big thing because, like I said, around our potholes, we got a lot of salts. So it, we, we, we run a what we call a salty cover crop, which is barley, turnips, and radish. Uh, the barley's really to try and get something in those salty areas. The turnip and radish won't always take, but at least we get something there pulling up them salts to uh, help us get rid of them. But the turnip and radish is key. We've got a little bit higher clay content soils. We have a tendency, if we're out there wet, that we want to compact. And those turnips and radishes with those tap roots, I think we see a lot of benefit with them tapping down. And, and like this year when we were so dry, um, I know for a fact that anybody who had turnip radishes where that, that, that corn or soybeans had a, a channel to follow to keep working their way down to get to that moisture because it, it was absolutely mind-blowing this year how long our crops have held on with as little moisture as we had. We, it, Like I had mentioned earlier, it really came back to having good soil structure and really no compaction is what's going to be the success this year. We're also sitting in front of your corn trials. You earlier mentioned about the different planting populations. Have you found it's one planting population that works well, or is the variable rate planting populations and having that prescription map uh, become key up here? It it really depends on the field, too. But I think the prescription is it's very valuable, valuable. And, and, you know, I had so many people 10 years ago that came to me and said, well, we tried variable rate, but we didn't really see the savings in it. It's not necessarily a savings aspect of using less seed or yes, less fertilizer. It's using the dollars that you're spending on all that seed and all that fertilizer and putting it in a place where it's actually going to give you an ROI versus year after year putting it on that, that salty alkali ground that produces nothing for you. And that's really the key, especially when we get into tight uh, commodity markets, is that's your key to success is putting your dollars where they're actually going to give you dollars back. And that's key to what we're doing with variable rate. And it's never one population fits all. There's, And that's like back to my prior statement is it's almost hard for a farmer to really dial it in without having somebody on their seed side that's really doing you know, two or three or four years in advance some of that research to understand that hybrid, to really coach them on, you know, what population you should be at on what soil type and so on and so forth. So we've talked a lot about technology and about having the right person, the valued partner and so forth. Do you think you can make it work for any size farmer, whoever is covering so many acres, or is it right now somebody that needs to be covering lots of acres to find the benefit in it? Because sometimes we're talking about dollars with iron and so forth, or maybe it's a little bit of both, depending on you find the right solution for the right person. 
Yeah, sometimes it, it it gets hard with smaller acres just because of the 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 investments into the iron necessarily, but a lot of the technology that's out there to be able to variable rate, like take planters for instance. I think you're hard pressed to find a planter anymore that's a central fill that doesn't have the capability to variable rate. Um, there is probably I don't know the specific stats, but I bet thirty five percent of the people that can variable rate with the iron they already have. Uh, actually do it there's another you know 75 percent of the market or that doesn't even use what they have sitting on the on the planter already and that's just a planter it's usually fertilizer that becomes a hiccup uh, to variable rate um just because certain certain machines don't have it but then there too there's a lot of stuff through uh precision planning uh john deere everybody's got like a rate controller or something you can add to just a, a plain jane um spreader you know chain floor spreader you can add a john deere rate controller or a precision dry rate controller and make that thing variable rate in a matter of three hours so it's just having the will to do it is the biggest thing have we come to the point where there is so much that farmers really do need to find that person that can help with that because you know i I think all of us want to do as much as we can on our own but maybe we've advanced to that point where we really have to have that technical person to help us on that side I think to if you're looking at starting out with it, I think you need to get somebody in your corner that knows what's going on because there's so much noise in the market with variable rate, and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, and you can get into a, a variable rate program or try and do something on your own, you can end up shooting yourself in the foot pretty hard. You want to work with somebody that has a lot of experience in it and understands understands not only variable rate but how to look at the data at the end of the season. Um, there's a lot of places that'll do great variable rate programs or they're supposedly variable rate but they do nothing to verify that end of the year or or to give the farmer report card to show them this worked this didn't you know so if you're gonna find somebody to work with make sure that they have something in place to sit down with you at the end of the season to really go through what you did and what did work what didn't work because you're never going to get it right every single year there's always going to be something you can learn and you really need somebody that can help you kind of it, it is a big beast especially first starting out to really get your head wrapped around how to even start where to go what to do how to do it you really need somebody that can help you from the beginning all the way to the end there's a lot of people that help you in the beginning there's not a lot of people that'll be there at the end of the season to make sure what they were telling you to do worked so boil it down to me for me as we wind up here if I was starting with this new, where would I start if I was working with you? Where's the best starting point for some of this? I think your first starting point would be probably in seed. Seed is, if you, got a, if you have a good understanding of your seed portfolio, seed's an easy place to start. Because like I had mentioned, the vast majority of planters in the market can variable rate today. They need nothing to do it. And if they do need something to do it, you're talking under 10,000 bucks, under 5,000 bucks to get up and running with it. So what's on the horizon? Uh, what do you see out here that uh, we still have coming for us? Because I know you're always looking to the, the future. So what is on the horizon? I think the biggest thing on the horizon right now that I'm excited about is all the carbon programs. I really want to see where this is going to go. I think it's got a lot of benefit for our farmers. Um, I think it's long-term. I think it's going to be better for our operations. And I, I just I just think there's a lot of promise with it. I I think us farmers should be getting paid for for what we're doing. Honestly, we we've 
we've been using our data to help produce better hybrids and just make farming as a whole better. And it's time for us as a farmer to start getting some compensation for everything we do. Well, and I guess we see some of that out there. You're already starting to see it around here. I don't know if people are taking advantage of it yet, or maybe it's still too new, but you certainly see it out here. Yeah, it's it's still new enough where, you know, you got some guys tiptoeing around in it. We're still trying to understand that market. There's a lot of people coming to the market with different programs and different things, but I think it's all going to come down to simplicity. You know, we don't want something that's going to you know, essentially add another employee to the farm to do all the paperwork and logistics of keeping up on all the all the information they need to get your carbon credits. I think it's going to come down to simplicity, streamlining your data directly from, you know, whether it's FieldView or whatever you're using and streamlining that to get your payments is going to be the key. It just simple is key, I guess. I appreciate the time. Good conversation. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. And remember, we now have an easy way for you to catch past shows. Just go to farmingthecountryside.com. You'll find a list of past features that you may have missed, and you can find a list of stations carrying this show or find your preferred way to download and listen as well. The Farming the Countryside page on Facebook will also provide you regular updates. So if you use that platform, connect with us there too. And I always like to share our Total Town Makeover website where people are finding ideas on how they can help their small towns and communities. We've got lots of TV and radio features there under the Resources tab. I think you'll find a lot of helpful info, and you can do that at TotalTownMakeover.com or just follow that same page on Facebook. I appreciate you joining us. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at PivotBio.com.